Reading in Exodus chapter 33 today. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn there. We'll also see the text on the screen in a moment. <clears throat> we are continuing our series on the Holy Spirit and His significance in our lives. Let me just say one thing first about how we're doing this series. Um, I'll be doing all the messages in this series on Walk by the Spirit um, and the main reason for that is because I really felt like the Lord wants me to grow in this personally and help our church grow in this. It's been an area of uh, neglect or underemphasis in my own life and teaching. So it seems to me that the Lord wants me to press into this particularly. So that's why I'm going to do all the messages. But Dan is going to be doing other messages because we really see that you need the whole counsel of God. The teaching on the Spirit isn't the only thing in the Bible. So between him and I, we're going to cover more of the whole counsel of God. But I, the Lord's directed me to spend time specifically on this. Um, so that's our method. That's, that's how things are going to go uh, for the next few months. So before we read from Exodus 33... Uh, let me put this passage in its context first so you know where we're reading. Um, the people involved are Moses and the people of Israel. They've been rescued out of slavery from the land of Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea by God's mighty hand on, on dry land. They've been going through the wilderness. They've made it to, the, to Mount Sinai where Moses went up on the mountain to receive God's commandments. But while he's up there, the people made a golden calf, which they worshipped. They broke loose, it says in the scripture. And so there's a reckoning for that. There's a judgment in which many people perished. And that's where we pick up the story now in Exodus 33. So let's read beginning verse 1, and then I'll pause to pray. The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up with among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Skipping down to verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, 
and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Let's pray. We have found favor in your sight, Lord, through Jesus, by putting our trust in him as Savior. And we ask that again this morning, Lord, we would know it, and revel in it and be assured of it and that through this Old Testament passage we'd, we'd see again your good purposes for us and your mercy on us. We thank you, Lord, that you make us distinct. We ask you to show us how again this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. There's, there's one pressing question that Moses has in this passage, something that he desperately wants God to give an answer to. It's this. How will anyone know that we have your favor? How will anyone know that we, the people of Israel, are any different from the rest of the world? He asks that question in verse 16. How shall it be known that I... And your people have found favor in your sight. How it shall be known that we are distinct from every other people on the face of the earth. That's a question that's relevant for us today. How will anyone know that we, the church, have God's favor? How will anyone know that it makes any difference being a Christian versus being a Hindu, or a Muslim, or an atheist, or someone who's not committed to any belief. Because Scripture says that Jesus is the only way to God, and that those who trust in Him have received eternal life, and we are objects of His mercy. So how will it be known that this is true? How will it be known that believers in Jesus are distinct from every other people on the face of the earth? Well, Moses answered his own question and our question. In verse 16, he says, Is it not in your going with us? Is it not in God's presence going with us that we are distinct the way it is made known that something real and something wonderful has happened to us is that God himself is discernibly present in our midst. That he goes with us on the journey. It's God dwelling among his people in such a way that you can look at what's happening in the church and you can say, now that's different. Those people are different. There's something going on here that can only be explained by the supernatural. 
It can only be God doing that. That's what Moses was asking for. How is God present with believers today? He's with us by his spirit. That was the last message in this series. John 14, 16, Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. That is how we have the presence of God among us today. The Spirit of God has been given to us through Jesus and his sacrifice. He sent the other helper, another helper, to be with us forever, the Spirit of God. That's how God is with us. God goes with the church in the person of the Holy Spirit who is active among us. And his activity is how we know and how the world knows We are distinct. The Spirit makes the church distinct by His activity, by His presence. Here's where I'm going with this. My hope this morning is to continue to stir up our desire for the Holy Spirit to be discernibly active and present among us. We want to see it and have eyes to see it. We're going to cover a lot of issues in this series, some of which will make us uncomfortable, or might. We'll be talking about speaking in tongues. That's weird. We'll be talking about prophecy. We'll be talking about praying for healing. We'll be talking about visions and miracles. And there might be some reluctance to go there. Because we're rational, word-based, word-focused, as we should be. We have that one hand clamped on our Bibles, but we want to open that other hand a little bit more to receive all that the Spirit has for us. And so the goal of this is just to see that it is right to want the manifest presence of the Spirit in our lives and in our church together in discernible ways. Let me just reinforce that by making an observation from the text. This is my first point. It would be disastrous not to have the Spirit's discernible presence among us. It would be disastrous not to have the Spirit's discernible presence among us. And I'm using that word discernible to modify presence because as we know in John 14, 16, that Jesus has already given us the Spirit. If you're a believer in Jesus, the Spirit dwells within you. His presence is here. It's always here, always among His people. So I'm qualifying this by saying the discernible presence of the Spirit, something that's visible, something that you can see God doing among us that makes us distinct. We should think it's disastrous not to have that. And I'm bringing that word disastrous from verses 3 and 4. God said this to Moses, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey meaning the promised land, that's where they're headed. That's why they've been delivered out of Egypt, is to go there. So go up to this land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up with you. 
lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. It's a disastrous word. God isn't going to go with us. This is terrible. And they mourned. Now, think about that for a moment. God still said he was going to give them the land. Go to a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm giving it to you. I'm fulfilling my promise to Abraham and to his offspring that the land of Canaan shall be yours. It's a fruitful land. It's a good place. You will like it there. It's fruitful. You can be free. You can live. You can prosper. That's all there. It's all there. Go get it. But they mourned because they heard God wasn't going to go with them. The promised land by itself wasn't enough. They wanted God to go with them also now. I think that speaks to us today about how we should desire the ongoing presence of the Spirit. We might think that salvation only deals with what we receive at the end of our journey. Some of us might be thinking that's all salvation is. It's about getting to the promised land of heaven. But meanwhile, we just kind of struggle here on our own. We just kind of do the best we can with all the trials that are in front of us. You know, we manage it. We work up the courage to live another day. You know, but at least we've got heaven out there somewhere. We might think that's all salvation is. Now, granted, the promise of heaven is a precious promise to encourage us. We looked at Peter's letter not that long ago, and he told us about the guarantee of the inheritance that is reserved in heaven for you. And he reminds the believers of that because they're going through persecution, opposition, it's a hard life. But hey, here's something that can't be taken away from you. You've got an inheritance You've got this glory waiting for you at the end. Nobody can take that away from you. You can't lose that. So be encouraged. So that's definitely part of salvation and what should encourage us. But heaven isn't all that salvation is. Salvation is also about God going with us on the way. He sent the Spirit to go with us along the way so that we could experience God's activity now, today, in our midst, in our journey, in our trial, in our wilderness wanderings. It would be disastrous if we had to face this world without him, without his active presence. This is why Moses wouldn't settle for anything less. He says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. (laughs) Promised land sounds great, but I don't want to go there unless you're here now. (laughs) Unless you're taking us there. (laughs) Promised land's not enough. We need you, Lord. We need you with us now. How else will we know that we have found favor in your sight? How else will it be known that we are distinct? And God said, all right, I will go with you. 
This very thing that you have spoken, I will do. It's right to want the Spirit of God to go with us on our life's journey in distinct, observable ways. To want that is to want the blessings of salvation. So let's talk about the distinctiveness that comes from having God active among us by His Spirit. Let's start with whom the Spirit of God makes distinct. Whom the Spirit of God makes distinct. In other words, to what kind of people does Jesus send the promise of the Holy Spirit? Well, we are not unlike the people Moses was leading in the wilderness. The people of whom God said, all right, I will go with you. <laughs> Let's use God's own description <laughs> in verse 3. <laughs> I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Stiff-necked. That, that's a picture of stubbornness. You just imagine you're trying to put a yoke on a mule, and he keeps doing this. <laughs> Don't do it. You can't do it. Don't do it to me. It's, it's obstinacy. It's headstrong self-will. I'm not going to do what you want me to do. Stiff-necked has it's that picture. It's the same term that Stephen used when he spoke to his hostile audience in Acts 7.51. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Resistance is what, what that's all made of. These are the people of whom God said to Moses, I will go with you. Surprising. <laughs> I'll still go with you. Now, I think we have to own up to this description ourselves. <laughs> we have some of that in us naturally, this unwillingness for Jesus to be Lord over all of the areas of our life. There's areas where we go, no, not that one. No, uh, not that. That's why Paul went so far as to say that we were enemies of God in Romans 5.10. That was our natural condition. We were enemies. We were resistant. We weren't willing to yield. We didn't want to go where he wants to take us not willing to admit that we need a Savior and that Jesus is that only Savior. Stiff-necked. That's what we are naturally before God gets a hold of us. And the consequence of being like that is actually very terrible as far as our prospects of having God go with us. He said to Israel, the reason I can't go with you is because I would consume you on the way. Verse 5, if for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. I would have to destroy you. Wow, strong language. Why is that? It's because holy God cannot dwell with sinful man. Habakkuk 1.13 says, You are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. God just can't have anything to do with sin. He can't have anything to do with evil. He's just completely pure. And so Hebrews picks up in Hebrews 12.29, Our God is a consuming fire. 
You can't be around this God in your unholy condition. That's why Isaiah, when he saw the image of, of God on his throne in Isaiah 6, and he realizes his own sinfulness, and he says, woe is me. He calls curses down on himself. Because that's what it's like to be in the presence of pure holiness in our unholiness. We can't survive that. Even later on in this passage, Moses is going to hear from God, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. I can't go with you on the way, you stiff-necked people. I would consume you. So how is it possible for God then to dwell among us? How is it possible for him to go with us? along the way. Well, he can do it if we have an intercessor. If we have someone who pleads our case before God. Israel had an intercessor in Moses as a type of one that was yet to come. In chapter 32, they made this golden calf. They worshipped it. Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. And then here he's pleading with God to go with them. If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. So he's pleading with God. Please come. Please be with us. He's interceding for the people. And then God says, this very thing I will do. For you have found favor in my sight. You, my intercessor, and I know you by name. Israel had an intercessor who had favor with God and who pleaded for God to go with them, and so God agreed. So it is with us. Jesus is our intercessor who has favor with God by virtue of his sinless, perfect life, I always do what pleases the Father, he said. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That's who our intercessor is. And he goes before the Father, who is also the judge, who is also the one that should consume us. And he says, in effect, consume me instead. Count their stiff-necked ways to me. And treat me as they ought to be treated. And then take my perfect righteousness and credit that to them so that they can become a holy nation, a royal priesthood, your own possession, so that then you can dwell among them. So that then you can go with them on the way. That's our intercessor. That's what Jesus did. That was his ministry. To live and to die in our place. That he might bring us to God. And so he has. To all who have trusted him. And let's not miss that it's the church that the Spirit makes distinct. Not just individuals. When Moses pressed God for an answer. He didn't just ask for himself, but for the nation. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. He wouldn't settle for God's presence with himself alone, but I and your people. 
that needs to be said because as we talk about the active presence of the Spirit, we might just think, well, this is a me and God thing. That as long as I'm personally enjoying the Spirit's activity, that that's all that's needed. So if you're having amazing times with the Lord, if you've got some strong gift, you know, in leadership or prophecy or something like that, you might think, well, you know, I'm good. Life is good. That's all that's needed, right? But Jesus interceded for the church to have the Spirit. Not just individuals. It's the Spirit active among his people that he wants. Well, now let's see what that can look like. We've talked about whom the Spirit makes distinct. Let's talk about how the Spirit makes us distinct. How the Spirit makes us distinct. Something that's fleshed out as we go through this series. But Exodus 33 tells us that it has to do with the various ways that the Spirit reveals God's presence and His favor among us. It's the Spirit revealing to us and to anyone who's watching, you're, you're God's people. <laughs> you are the object of His mercy. He's blessed you. He's with you. It's the Spirit making that known through things. Now, we talked about some of the ways he does that in our last discipleship community. We talked about the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to mention four categories of ways that the Spirit makes us distinct, the ways that he's active, what his ministry is. So here's the first one. It's that the Spirit makes us distinct by unifying us around Christ. By unifying us around Christ. This is what Paul was jealous to preserve when he wrote to the Ephesian church in Ephesians 4, 1 through 4. He wrote, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. So Paul's saying, the Spirit has created a, a baseline level of unity among genuine believers. The Spirit connects us to Christ and therefore to one another so that when we are around fellow Christians, generally speaking, even if you're meeting for the first time, you have a, a kindred spirit. There's a connection there that's not based on whether you're making the same amount of money or whether you're doing the same kind of hobbies or how you look or what race you are, or what your country of origin is. None of that stuff matters, because there's this other connection, there's this deeper connection, this realization that you and I are brother and sister in Christ, with Christ our, our elder brother, and God our Father. There's this thing, this unity that he creates, because he dwells within us, and we just know. We know we're of the same family. Now, that unity can be lost, which is why Paul says, maintain it. <laughs> it can degrade through pride, which is why he says, in humility. <laughs> but when it is maintained, 
when it is strengthened, then it's a serious evidence that God is truly among us. I have to say, the older I get, and the longer I'm a pastor, the more amazing it seems to me whenever a church actually hangs in there together for a long period of time. <laughs> I mean, if you've got a group of people who are together today and 10 years from now, that's a miracle. <laughs> that, that they haven't blown up over some issue. That everybody hasn't scattered. <laughs> if, if you can actually say, I've been in a church for 10, 15, 20 years, and so have a whole bunch of other people, that's supernatural. <laughs> that's Holy Spirit creating unity despite ourselves. <laughs> you know, that we could actually hang in there and forbear with one another <laughs> when we're disappointed, when we sin with each other. I mean, the world knows, everybody knows how to say, you know, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done with you. I can't handle you anymore. I'm going to go find something else. <laughs> That's natural. <laughs> What's supernatural is to say, you know what, we've got a problem. Let's talk about it. Let's work through this. I'm going to find out my part. I hope you look at your part, but I'm more interested in my part. Let's resolve this. Let's go to the deep level and let's restore fellowship. That's, that's supernatural. That's the Holy Spirit. If you can do that, somebody can say, God is among you. Because that's not normal. I want to commend Dan and Diana for being here for 19 years. <laughs> they lead the way in this. Here's another way the Spirit makes us distinct. It's by purifying us. The Spirit purifies us, which is to say he makes us sin less and become more like Christ in our character. He is the Holy Spirit, and so he's working holiness into us. And our holiness looks like the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5, 22 and 23. What is it? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what holiness looks like when that's you, when that's what you look like. If that describes you, then the Spirit of God is doing something supernatural. Especially when you have those qualities, even when life is hard. And especially then. Let's take, for example, joy. Joy is something lots of people have who don't have Jesus. That is to say, they can be happy, loving life, fun to be around. But to be sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As Paul said, he was in the midst of all of his trials and persecutions and hardships. To say, yes, sorrowful, but rejoicing, that's supernatural. That's saying, you know what? You have a joy that isn't just based on your circumstances, don't you? Because your circumstances are bad. But you seem to be able to rise above it. How do you do that? The Holy Spirit. <laughs> That's how we know he's among, me, among us. It's how we know he's in you. You've got a deeper well of joy than can be explained naturally. Anybody can be happy when they have what they want. But to be in constant physical pain 
and find reason for joy. To be denied relationships and opportunities that you long for and still find comfort in Christ. To say on a Monday when you are overloaded with work, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That's the Spirit working in you. That's God breaking in and giving you strength. Spirit purifies us. He makes us distinct that way. He also makes us distinct by revealing God and his will to us. By revealing God and his will. We'll have a whole sermon on the leading of the Spirit. But for now, suffice it to say that God loves to reveal himself to his people and he's given us the Spirit to do it. So in 1 Corinthians 2.12, we learn that we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. That's a very encouraging thing to hear. There are things that God has freely given to us, but they're not immediately understandable. They're invisible. But God has given us the Spirit that we might understand these things. So it's things like forgiveness of sin, total acceptance with God our Creator, the promise of rewards in heaven, the promise of a resurrection body. Those kinds of things are freely given to us through our intercessor, Jesus, and the Spirit says, they're yours. I want you to see that they're yours. I want you to know what they are and to be encouraged that they're yours. They're freely given. But you need the Spirit to know those things. And God wants you to know it. He wants to reveal himself and his will to you and to me. So he sends his Spirit. If you've ever read God's Word and taken comfort from it, if you've ever had an aha moment during a sermon where something suddenly made sense, it, it addressed an issue you're dealing with, it solved a problem, it showed you a way forward, it gave you strength for another day, that was the Spirit. The Spirit reveals God and His will to us. One more category. and We'll spend a lot of sermons on this. The Spirit makes the church distinct by empowering us. Empowering us. I won't list all the ways he does that, but one arena in where we see it is what we call the spiritual gifts. Paul listed several of these in 1 Corinthians 12, and then he said in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So the Spirit of God, and we talked about this before, the Spirit of God says to one person, okay, you, I'm going to give you the gift of prophecy. I'm going to give you the gift of administration. I'm going to give you helps. I'm going to give this one teaching. And I'm going to empower that thing <laughs> so that the effectiveness of it is going to be derived in my power flowing through you as you step out in faith and use it. But it's the Spirit who's doing it, who's making it effective. And when it's effective, then you know 
The Spirit of God is among us. God is here. I'll point out one example. This comes from 1 Corinthians 14, 23 to 25. Paul writes, If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? Which is one of the reasons why we probably don't preach on that too much. We don't want to look like we're out of our minds. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Would you think it's a good thing if someone came to one of our meetings on a Sunday morning and fell on their face and said, God is really among you? Would that freak you out? <laughs> or would you think that was a good thing? <laughs> I think he wants us to think that's a good thing. He's trying to encourage prophecy because it says that might happen. They might actually realize God is here. <laughs> it's not just a meeting. It's a meeting with God. <laughs> to see somebody so overwhelmed that that obvious reality would be a wonderful thing. Because in a prophetic word, it says the secrets of a person's heart are disclosed. It's not just that they learned something from preaching, that they were convicted by a general principle. It's that God revealed something specific to you or to, to another person about you that they couldn't know, and they disclosed it publicly. It's like they read your mail. How did you know that? <laughs> you shouldn't know that. You can't know that. But you just said it. <laughs> That's what's going on in a prophetic word. And why do you think God is really among you? Because there's no way that you should know that. That had to come from somewhere else. God must have told you. And the effect in that case was they're convicted and they fall on their face and they worship God. I think that's a good outcome. It's spiritual gifts like prophecy. It's in those things that we experience what Moses wanted for the people of Israel. How will anyone know we've found favor in your sight? How will anybody know that we're distinct from every other person on the planet Earth? Isn't it, isn't it with your going with us? Isn't it with your active presence here in things like a prophetic word that discloses the secrets of hearts? We need to be open to the full range of the Holy Spirit's activity. When we gather, especially to gifts that the Scripture says clearly tell us that God is among us. There needs to be room for that when we meet. I like this quote by Gordon Fee from his commentary on 1 Corinthians 14. I find it personally convicting because I, I, I lead Sunday morning meetings and I haven't made room for this. He said, Perhaps in our domestication of the Spirit, we have also settled for a safer expression of worship, one in which very few are ever led to exclaim that surely God is among you. 
I have to own that. I've often settled for the safer expression of worship. That's why we're having a prophecy seminar in two weeks. It's not because prophecy sounds interesting and fresh and that would make things interesting around here. It's because prophecy is clear evidence that God is really among us, that we're distinct, that we're favored by God. And we want that because Jesus died to give us that. You'll hear a whole lot about prophecy if you go to the seminar. I hope you will go. Um, Because there's a lot of teaching out there on this. A lot of it's bad teaching. And I want you to hear really good teaching from people that have been also practicing this for 20, 30 years and are doctrinally grounded. Their hand is on their Bible and their other hand is open to the Spirit and we want to learn from people like that. And so that's what, the, that's what the seminar is about. And I hope you'll go to it. And you can sign up online uh, at their website. Look for, uh, has anybody done it? If, uh, you've done it? Okay, you go to the website. Yeah, and they have a banner that flips. There's a banner that flips. And it's one of the, the yeah. that we have up Okay, so go to the website. If you've got one of those little brochure handouts, it's at the very bottom. Go click on that. Click on the banner. Register. It's 12 bucks, I think. That includes lunch. It includes a booklet. Um, please make that a priority, if at all possible, because we want God to be demonstrated among us. <clears throat> That's one of the ways he does it. Let's move on to my last point, which we need to cover in order to keep these things in perspective. Let's close with why the Spirit makes us distinct. Why the Spirit makes us distinct. And and the shorter answer is, so God will be glorified among us. That's why. It's for his glory. It's for him to be known. It's for his name to be made famous. Going back to verse 16, what is it that Moses is asking for? How shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? I and your people. Emphasis on your At the end of the day, what Moses is asking for is that people will see Israel as different because they have favor with God. Not just that they're different. Not just that they're prospering, but they're different and they're prospering because God is doing it. Because God is among them. As we learned from Pastor Dan's message last week on Psalm 1, prosperity doesn't mean that you never fail. Or that you never have problems. It just means that when you fail and have problems, you learn and you grow from it. Your soul prospers because God is with you and he carries you through it and he changes you and grows you. But you know he's with you. He's going to be there. We want people to fall down and say God is among you because of what God is doing. (laughs) We want people to encounter him. We want them to know that if you know this God, you too have access to his favor through Jesus Christ. So put your trust in him. We don't want people to just come in here on a Sunday and say, wow, this is a happening place. There's a lot going on. (laughs) The one thing we don't want this series on the Holy Spirit to produce is to just make our church interesting to make it a happening place. 
People can be interested in the work of the Spirit for the wrong reasons. We don't want to become the focus. We don't want to take credit for anything if God is moving in extraordinary ways. We just want people to go away with the knowledge of God and an experience and an encounter with Him and His grace and with Jesus Christ. Let me just close with application, which is this. Let's not be reluctant for God to make us distinct from the world through all the work of the Holy Spirit. Rather, let's be like the Israelites who thought it a disastrous word if he wasn't that way, if he wasn't operating that way among us. Let's be like Moses who asked God for it. And let's be confident that like Moses, Jesus, our intercessor, has secured God's yes to going with us and making us distinct by his Spirit's activity. This is about making room in your heart for all that God would want you to have by his Spirit. And next Sunday, we'll talk more about actually pursuing that. But let's pray.